Hi, welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. This is Teresa Gonzalez, and we are coming to you live from Ceja Vineyards in Napa Valley. Today's podcast will feature Amelia and Dalia Ceja talking about their journey of their family in the vineyards to the global wine industry here in Napa Valley. So grab your favorite glass of vino and let's get ready to hear their story. No, it's okay. It's mother daughter. I get it. You know, just we just we just came back from Yosemite. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I love Yosemite. Welcome. Let's see. Welcome to the middle of California. Is that your first time there in Yosemite? This was not. This was actually goodness. We've been several times, you mm-hmm. know, throughout you know my childhood and whatnot. But this was our fourth time being invited through the Awani Vintners Holiday. Oh, that's what it was, the Vintners Holiday. Yes, it was started 38 years ago to bring in tourism to Yosemite Valley in the late fall and and also early winter. Mm -hmm. And it's become like an amazing, successful set of events. Mm -hmm. This year they're hosting six sessions and we were session number two. And the title of our session was Goddesses of the Grape. Oh, yeah, there were three other amazing vintners Mm -hmm. who have also revolutionized the wine industry in their own way, Mm -hmm. as we have as well. But women vintners, which is even more impactful. Right, the woman vintner. So that's what I want to talk about today is how the Seha family came to be as a family-owned, land-owned here in California, Napa Valley, and having such a strong presence also in the community, Amelia, from your workers' rights roots in Dolores Huerta, being friends and knowing her, right? And just also having that experience. I'd love to talk a little bit about how the Seja family came from Mexico as a lot of, you know, we call them the migrant families that come here. So my family, actually my grandmother, and all of her family came and they picked grapes in the Central Valley, but they picked fruit too. So they picked uh, whatever the season was, but her mom died when she was young. So they got split up. And then my grandmother had to take care of, with her sisters, the rest of the siblings. There were 11 of them and they were all in the fields. And so the state took them and they separated them. And so there's that aspect of our family that as farm workers, they could not be a family together, but they picked and they, my grandmother never finished school. And so my mom, you know, was the only girl out of, you know, four brothers and they were in Fresno. So that's my experience with the farm workers and farm community and having that background and coming up here and being in tech and starting this business. So I think you have that same story with your daughter and that's what I want to hear today. So welcome. Thank you. We are so honored, you know, to be sharing our own story. Mm -hmm. And for us, you know, it's about empowering women Mm -hmm. and women from around the world. Mm -hmm. So that's been so crucial, you know, for me personally as a millennial to share our story and to inspire the next generation. Yes, absolutely. So Amelia, I would love for you to talk about the family coming and hearing. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm an immigrant. Mm -hmm. I came to the Napa Valley in 1967 from the state of Jalisco. And this in Napa is where I met my future husband, Pedro. So it's actually two families that came here one from Jalisco and one from Michoacán, because Ceja Vineyards was founded by myself and my husband, who's Ceja, Mm -hmm. and his uh, brother, younger brother Armando. Mm -hmm. So two families that arrived here in 1967. My father was a vineyard worker. He actually uh, was a foreman in Oakville Vineyard Management Company, and it was harvest time, and he asked me, Mija, do you want to go and see what I do. And I said, of course, I had only been here a few days. And meantime, my husband's family had arrived as well, and they desperately needed a job because 
They actually lived in a barn in Yanville for uh, about 10 days mm -hmm. uh, because my husband's family is very large. At the time, there were seven children plus the two parents, mm -hmm. so nine. And fortunately, our fathers knew each other. And uh, my husband's dad, Pablo, called my dad and said, hey, I just brought my family and we need a job. So my dad said, hey, come this weekend. I'm going to bring uh, my own children to pick grapes. Mm -hmm. So that's how I was introduced to grape growing and to also meeting my future partners. Oh. And I fell madly in love with the entire industry. Um, I Plus, I made money for myself because mm -hmm. we were paid depending upon how many buckets of mm -hmm. grapes we harvested. Mm -hmm. And I think I made around a little bit of like maybe 350. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt rich because I was translating <laughs> it into pesos. Right. Oh, yes. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I did. I told my father that I was going to have a vineyard of my own someday. Oh, so, intention yes. setting right there. Yes, and my father said, of course you will. Mm -hmm. I didn't speak a word of English. Oh, wow. And But yet you did it, and here you are. Well, yeah. it's, it was um, a sentiment that was also felt by Pedro, my husband, and his family. And fast forward to 1980, when we were married, we spent every weekend coming to Napa and Sonoma looking at properties and people thought we were nuts because we didn't have any money but that didn't deter us in 1983 we well an offer on this property and uh, we bought it in nine, April 1983 wow but we didn't take into account that it was going to cost us tens of thousands of dollars to develop this property into a vineyard because it, it's very costly per acre and we had to wait until 1986 and when my brother-in-law Armando finished school at UC Davis. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, going to school there at the time. And we almost lost the property in between because the interest rates were at like 17%. Mm. Yes, and uh, we were forced to move back to Napa so that we could save this property because at the time we, Pedro and I lived in uh, Silicon Valley. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, Pedro started engineering, and then we, by the, when we purchased our first property in 1983, we had two kids, and then by 1985, we had three. Dahlia was a baby. That was just a little one. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so we moved back to Napa in 1985, mm -hmm. and Pedro continued working in Silicon Valley, so he would commute 90 miles each way oh. uh, to work in... Traffic Pitas. was not nearly as bad as it is today, <laughs> so just probably got here a lot quicker. No, it still took him minimum a couple of hours, so oh. he left very early and he came home late. But finally, in 1986, we were able to plant the vineyard our first harvest was in 1988, and since then we knew that eventually we wanted to release our own brand under our own name. Mm -hmm. But it, we were—we all had a day job, and we were all very busy. And with the profit that we got from the harvest, we actually invested it into buying more properties. But by the mid-1990s, we already had around 115 acres. And then we said, okay, we can start thinking about now launching our own brand. And in 1999, I left my job in the wine industry. And I spent the entire summer uh, learning about how to do business as, and in September 1999, I filed the Articles of Incorporation, and that's when my partner selected me president of Serra Viñas, and I became the first Mexican-American woman ever elected president of a winery in the world. Quite oh, historical. It is. It is. And I'm so happy to be here in, in your in your presence. Yeah, you're lucky. So one of the things um, you said so many wonderful things that I like to highlight in this, because one of the most important things I think you said was you had your own money when you were very little. You made your own money and that gave you a feeling of a you made that money and it was yours and you were going to do something with it that gave you kind of freedom in yes. a way, right? So talk about like what that means, because again, you did that 
in this reiteration or these second time of making your own money and reinvesting it to keep the land right with your husband and partners. So what is what what did that teach you something back then? And do you think it was just something you learned on your own or was it from the work or was it that your dad or your mom said you have to make this money because this is going to be yours someday? Like what was the the trigger? Well, I've always been an independent <laughs> child since <laughs> I was born. Mm-hmm. Even in Mexico I actually had little odd jobs. I'm working with my grandfather and my uncle, mm-hmm. and I didn't make a lot of money, but it, it felt great to be able to buy things for myself mm-hmm. from uh, monies that I had earned. Yeah. And, and that was transferred to here as well. But what was really important is that I learned from the UFW, the United Farm Workers Union, because I was introduced to Dolores and Cesar Chavez at a young age mm-hmm. as well, is that uh, unity is power yes and collaboration and a lot of people focusing on the same goal is a lot easier to achieve than just one person alone yes so we knew that we couldn't do it by ourselves just Pedro and me just because interest rates were very high and we didn't have the financial resources but we could pull our resources together which we did with Pedro's parents, Juanita and Pablo, and Armando's knowledge, because at the time he was a very poor student at UC Davis, <laughs> uh, but he had a lot of knowledge. Yes. And that we were able to actually purchase that, the, our first property here in Carneros, but it did. It took that understanding that it does take a instinct and a desire but also be willing to work together yeah. with people that have the same goals as you do. Right. And I, I think that's so powerful in saying that, that collectively you can you come together to make that a reality. Because right now, right, we're the largest community, and yet we're still very separated in our own ways of how we want to do things a certain way and if we come together collectively we can really move a lot of big needles I want to say in the market well and what happened like just here in Upper Valley when in the 70s finally the UFW took hold and my father was the first president of uh, Napa Valley Vineyards management company when all the workers voted to have representation by the union it was great because the lives of all of these workers changed dramatically forever mm-hmm. in that now they were actually able to secure unemployment insurance. They were also able to get medical insurance. Plus, they were also able to collectively, if something was unfair, you know, to use that unity and go on strike mm-hmm. to achieve the union's goals and um, as it is today even though there are now maybe only a couple of companies that still remained under the UFW contracts Napa and Sonoma because of that influence of the UFW are the two highest paid counties for agricultural workers in the United States Wow! and uh, workers are treated very differently too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are more rights. And so unity is, is definitely gives you power and in any type of industry, not just agriculture. Yes. So the tech industry yes. can definitely also vote to have union representation because everyone that works hard and is dedicated mm-hmm. to not only providing for their families, but also for their communities, need to be treated with dignity and respect and to definitely get a lot of value from what the unions uh, actually offer. Si. (laughs) Si se puede. Si se puede. As we always say, I always talk about Dolores Huerta on my podcast. I'm like, I just want to hug Dolores. I just want (laughs) to, you know, she's that fighting spirit, you know, and she's 90 almost. Yes. And she's still out there, you know, going to, you know, she's the, a rock star. Yeah, the protests and 
and doing her speech and saying, you know, we, ha- we still have to come together. And she's been through it all, you know. And I'm so glad that she's recognized for so many of her efforts in the farm workers' rights and movements, along with Cesar Chavez. But she really is the woman, as most women are, behind the great man, right? So it's like, you look at Michelle Obama, for instance. You know, we love her. We can't talk about the new one. <laughs> but do you know that Dolores Huerta is the one that came up with Si Se Puede? Right. And she's nearly 90, yet she has such a presence. She emanates such positive energy and love. And what I, I love is that she's tirelessly going out to every community to yes. urge people to vote. Mm-hmm. And that's where we can really acquire yes. a political power mm-hmm. and financial power as well. Exactly. So I encourage every single person that is documented and not yet a U.S. citizen to apply ASAP yeah. and so that we can all vote together to make sure that we are represented. Just, yes. Yes. Well, the, the, the political parties know that we are very relevant to the vote. So really, how we vote together is really going to change a lot of things. And now, as I say, is our time. So when we talk about the empowerment for women and, you know, the politics and all the things you've seen, and here's, you know, Dahlia coming up now in the business and how she's going to carry the legacy, right? Two powerful women in this, you know, area in a male-dominated industry. I mean, I love to hear how you confront that because I think a lot of women, when they're in that type of environment, they want to be heard or they want to be seen, but they don't get that recognition. And I think it's really hard when you're the only person in the room and you don't get that, the respect that you say, given all that you've done. And what would you say to somebody that has that? Because you do get it, Dahlia, you do. I've been through it in tech. Your mom's probably, you know, you probably see it. I've felt it numerous, numerous times. Mm -hmm. I mean, I joined my family's company goodness, in the late 2009, beginning of 2010, after I embarked on a seven-month backpacking trip through South America with one of my best girlfriends. Wow. And I had the opportunity to visit Chile and Argentina and their amazing wine-growing regions. Mm -hmm. And that was my light bulb moment where I was like, wow, I am discovering the wine-growing region in South America, yet my family is embarking on a new Mm -hmm. winemaking adventure in Napa Valley. So I wanted to get involved. Mm -hmm. And for me... Because you saw it was global. I I saw it was global, and I... Mm -hmm. You know, for us, it was also when we started showcasing our passions through YouTube, Mm -hmm. highlighting food and wine, and Mm -hmm. my mom being a rock star in the kitchen, highlighting worldwide cuisine, but of course with a touch towards authentic Mexican cuisine paired with our style of wine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this industry too, you know, especially, gosh, is that almost 10 years ago? It wasn't as new in the social media world. No. The the wine industry was really behind. Mm -hmm. Now... It's taken a different Oh, everybody's toll. taking pictures of their food, their glass of wine, you know, where they are. Wine bars are starting to become more prevalent in the Bay Area, which I really like. I was in Europe with my husband, and they're all over the place, like little bodegas. Oh, yeah. And you just go in there, and you get your bocadillo or your little snack, and... You know, it's just a regular thing, right? And I think that would be great here, too. Oh, absolutely. For, for some other, you know, just walk in and you have a little cafe. And, you know, so anybody listening out there, you can get in touch with a distributor for wine and open up your little cafe. So, <laughs> so the, the only difference is that because of the art preserve that was established in 1968, in Napa County, it's very difficult to have a commercial business in an agricultural area unless it is to process the agricultural product that is grown there. So if you have vineyards, you can have a winery, but with a lot of restrictions. But outside of that, you can have a restaurant or a cafe unless you are in the city proper. But Mm -hmm. I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. that all women in sort of non-traditional jobs. We just need to be stronger, to be bolder, 
so that we are noticed. No, I've been called, oh, you're too pushy. Oh, and men are not pushy when yes. they know. So I don't care. So women be pushy. Yes. Absolutely. And it's very important because then if you feel very strongly about something and you have something to contribute, well, nothing should stop you. So if it, ta if it means to uh, be more vocal and to not just wait for your turn, well, then do it. Be pushy. Yeah. Well, and going back on what you said about empowerment mm -hmm. and what that means for me is, is truly about finding your inner confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom has been a fantastic mentor and example for me to shine light on what confidence is and how you can shine in whatever industry you work in. Mm -hmm. And when I embarked in our family's industry, you know, I was in my early 20s, fresh out of college, fresh out of my backpacking mm -hmm. journey, you know, and I have a baby face, you know, and a uh, young Latina. I remember my first Your sales mom call. has a baby face. <laughs> look at, look at they her. Call it, they call us sisters. <laughs> it's, it's the wine. It's, I know. It's, yes. it's definitely the wine. Aging like a damn fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's truly about a, finding that inner confidence. And for me, that also meant going back to school to receive a higher mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. So a few years later, I decided to Uh, enroll at Sonoma State University and I received my executive MBA with a focus in wine business and marketing. Mm. So once I went through that program, I definitely took my confidence to the next level yep. because I was more well-rounded, mm -hmm. you know, on the business fronts, also learning everything to do with what it takes to build a brand. Mm -hmm. And that's my passions is branding, it's marketing, mm -hmm. promoting, yep. all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think my mom and I make a great team. You know, oh. two different generational perspectives. You know, she's a very techie mom. I actually had oh, a Twitter yeah. account before my kids <laughs> yet. Oh, there you go. There you go, mom. Okay. There she is. Oh, look at She is just moving. She's, she's like, I had a Twitter account before. <laughs> well, it's so fun. I love that. Well, let me put it in perspective. My mom's only five feet tall, but her just energy just like breaks records. Yeah, <laughs> she's 10 feet tall. Well, it's, it's so wonderful to see the next generation mm -hmm. engage mm -hmm. in something that I love so dearly, the wine industry. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like it in the world mm -hmm. and because it revolves around the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And in our culture... Yes, and I mean, travel. Yes, yeah, and, and travel. food, and yeah. wine, yes. hospitality. But what do you do? We, you want to feed everybody. Yes. Like, I remember my mama Chepa, my maternal grandmother, like if she would see anyone that was just even a tiny... Skinny. She said, oh, mija, you, you, you need to stay here with us a couple of weeks because I'm definitely Gonna going to feed you more feed tamales. You more yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's so beautiful. It's a universal language. Sharing it's love. Food. It's and, love. And wine, it really brings people together. Mm -hmm. And when we launched our brand against all odds, We were determined to make sure that we brought our culture with us. Um, mm -hmm. And I am so happy to see that my three children are completely bicultural. Mm -hmm. They love where we come from and they spend a lot of time there. And they also love their the United States. I love my country where I come from, Mexico, but I also love my adopted country. And I want to make sure that everything that is beautiful about my heritage you know, remains uh, here with me yes. in the United States. And it gives us a huge advantage. It does. Because it, don't you think? Yes, Being absolutely. cultural and speaking two mm -hmm. languages and making sure that people enjoy wine with whatever food they love, whether it's chips and salsa, popcorn and Chardonnay. Yeah. I mean, there's so much at the table for wine. Well, right. I, I definitely think that what you just said, the fact, you know, being both Mexican and American, being proud of, you know, both Mexico and, you know, now living in the United States, you know, it makes us approachable, relatable, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. it has definitely set our brand apart because we intertwine our rich Mexican culture and heritage into everything we do mm -hmm. and we're proud yeah you know we are proud to to share you know our humble beginnings you right. know to go from vineyard workers to vineyard owners mm -hmm. to winery owners within less than 50 years right but at the same time we're we've broken down barriers those mm -hmm. silly elitist arrogant barriers that have kept so many 
people of color from enjoying wine. Yes. And we make very serious wines that compete with the best in the world, mm -hmm. yet the way we approach and how we tell people about them is in such a warm and embracing way. And you don't need to know anything about wine to enjoy it. You like it or you don't. Exactly. And that has brought so many new consumers to the wine industry. Mm -hmm. Just that very simple message. Plus, not only that, you can enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy pozole with Pinot Noir. It's actually one of my all-time favorite pairings. <laughs> and, uh, or mole with Cabernet is yeah. one of my favorite pairings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tamales with Chardonnay, chicken tamales with oh. Chardonnay for lunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, yeah that sounds good. Fantastic. I know, I'm like, I just ate lunch and it was just <laughs> I don't like, worry, you'll be hungry now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, Rob over here, sound guy is like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> So I wanted to bring up a very interesting fact about the wine industry and the business because there are two very interesting synergies that come together and it's a program of enology and then also business, which both take a lot of mathematics and chemistry and having some financial literacy, but also just having a design concept of flavor, right? When you talk about all these things together. And one of the things I like to say to students or to folks that are in STEM programs or STEAM, which is, you know, an art aspect to um, science, technology, engineering, and math, is that STEM has many avenues than just being a coder or being, you know, in technology you can be in the wine industry. You can be part of that industry, learning the, the sugar content and how to blend, right? And how to understand the growing of the grapes, right? I know some of my brother-in-law's families probably, oh no, you just the dirt and you know, the, you know, it, all in Spanish, like you don't need that pinchy blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just this, you know, my, you know, his whole family, right? They're all growing grapes. It's like, but you, you need that to understand if you're going to into the business and then understanding the business, being a business major myself at San Francisco State, that's a lot of math. That's a lot of math. And so you have all this math and a lot of Latina women out there, I've heard it so many times, I'm not good in math or I'm afraid of math or math is not my thing or whatever. They just don't want to touch math. And they say it's like too hard for them. But being financially literate in how your money and your spending is, is very important, even if you have a side hustle to understand that. So again, having STEM, it, there's many paths, right? So I want to understand for the business and understanding and when you got into it, how did you apply yourself in that? Because that is an avenue from that. Well, the wine industry is actually three different businesses. Mm. If you're going to produce wines that are designated as steak rum, that means that you grow the grapes, you have that complete control from the rootstock all the way into the bottle. Then there's also the business of agriculture, viticulture, growing the grapes. And then there is enology, mm -hmm. which is the chemistry of winemaking, right. which is mostly organic chemistry. Mm -hmm. And then there is the business. And so how do you, and then there's art actually, yes. because there yes. is art, wine is liquid art. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do it first by acquiring a property that it took us a, a few years that then we were able to develop it. Mm -hmm. We planted, we did a lot of first like soil studies to make sure we selected the right varietal for the area, which mm -hmm. we are located in Carneros, which is a cooler wine growing region. So the best varietals that thrive in this area are Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So we were able, we decided we were going to plant Pinot Noir, and then we already had a buyer, which was Domaine Chandon, and our grapes were going to be used for sparkling wine production. So while viticulture involves a lot of plant physiology and actually a lot of physics, mm. because the way the plants absorb nutrients is actually, it's all physics. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. Wow. Um, and then enology, which is the actual wine production converting sugar 
by this microorganism uh, yeast mm-hmm. into CO2, which escapes into the atm- atmosphere, and then into alcohol. Those are the byproducts. My brother-in-law went to UC Davis, so he has that background as well. Mm-hmm. And and the viticulture part, well, we all have it because we all started working in the vineyards. And I went to UC San Diego and I started I studied history and literature, which actually have been quite important to the development of our brand because you do need to know the history of this industry, but as well how it all evolved from 8,000 years ago mm-hmm. to now, mm-hmm. to be able to really go out and tell the story of yes. wine. Yes. So we've accumulated all of this incredible knowledge, mm-hmm. first by personal experience, but then by going to the university. And now I only took one business class and uh, this is when I left my job. So that was in back in 1999. And there I learned that the business owner can be the business's biggest advocate. And who knows more about grape growing and winemaking and the entire business than me? So I, I write the press releases and now Dahlia has an actual business degree. So now we have all of those wow. variables that make up this wine growing equation in-house. Wow. Nice. Highly educated uh, team members. Well, yeah. and all the key contributors play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. For instance, my dad, Pedro Ceja, also one of the founders, owners, um, you know, his day job is an engineer in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, but we call him, you know, the artist of our grounds, mm-hmm. you know, because he loves to create. Mm-hmm. And, and he was instrumental in the development of our uh, packaging of our wines. He loves history as well. And he's out there working tirelessly daily uh, to make sure that his vision of like the mission inspired winery is translated perfectly into the packaging and then ultimately yeah. into the winery that will be building. I mean, essentially, we're a small team. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other core contributors, uh, my brothers, my middle brother, Ariel, uh, we call him, I mean, he's essentially our business consultant. Mm-hmm. We all wear 20 hats, mm-hmm. but he oversees wine club, you know, the new developments of our website, mm-hmm. managing our tasting rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, our eldest brother also assisting with our Sonoma wine tasting location. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle Ar- Armando, our winemaker's daughter, my cousin Belen, she also studied enology at Fresno State University. Oh, so Fresno been, State hometown. Hey. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's great to see truly the next generation you know, find interest, passion, and love into this industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, some something I get asked all the time was, was this ever something your parents forced or pressured you to want to do? Mm-hmm. No, actually. They were always very supportive to follow your passions, go work in an internship, travel the world. Mm-hmm. Um, which ultimately, for me personally, I mean, being in the wine industry is a no-brainer. Yeah. Being surrounded by world-class food, wine, travel, hospitality. Right. I mean, hello, people. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean Instagram. Are you out there? It's like yeah, follow the sehas out there. <laughs> I mean, but needless to say, though, you know, this was never handed down to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all had to work our butts off to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, and for us, you know, we started from the ground up. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't come from you know a big law firm that wanted a hobby and hey let's go buy some grapes and buy some land in Napa and start right. a little side brand hustle you right know? yeah no, let's start a multi-million dollar yes, side exactly. hustle out <laughs> no, in Napa I mean this is you know our yeah. definition of the American dream yeah that's what in tears that's what you it know, takes and a lot of people say that oh, well, they have that opportunity. But the whole opportunity here that we're talking about is familia and the strength of familia. And then also understanding how you guys or you ladies have kept the money and the wealth within the family to create that generational wealth. And that's really important to understand is that the succession of wealth that you're leaving behind, right? Because once you've made it, you know, you're reaching back, right? As they say, into the community. And this story is actually part of that because I hear and I see a lot of Latinas and also Latinos that are out there like, oh, you know, that's too hard or, oh, it's, you know, they stay in a comfort zone because their families don't push them or they're afraid to let them explore, right? And some families that have this type of industry the siblings or the or the kids 
are afraid to move out because they feel a, you know, a respect and they have to pay homage to the family, right? Because they don't want to hurt the feelings. But I think it's great that you are very much passionate about that towards Dahlia to explore and that she can do whatever, you know, her heart's desire, but she brings it back to the business. Well, and even now, especially with the new exciting chapter, which is in our very near future to build our mission-inspired production facility at our Napa Carneros Estate, yes. we will all individually have our own separate branding projects. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just part of it. And I think that's what really makes, you know, a shine as a team collectively, but also individually. Mm-hmm. It's great that uh, we're just very fortunate that our family is incredibly talented and creative. And because it is hard to be in a family-owned business, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be hard. Yeah. But, but it is what, challenging. <laughs> no, but what is but rewarding, but very rewarding. Yeah. But what is great is that being able to recognize and focus on everyone's talents and the weaknesses is really also what has uh, separated us from others. Plus. We feel very strongly about education, mm-hmm. and it is actually um, not just something that we share in our culture that we all work, you know, towards the same goal. But it is so ingrained in our psyche that education is what's going to give us mobility. And I'm just very fortunate that my parents felt that way, although they never had a chance to go to school. I mean, they. They lived in a very remote village mm-hmm. in northern Jalisco. That it's not that they didn't want to, they just couldn't. But yet, they dedicated their entire lives so that my siblings and I had an opportunity to get an education. Mm-hmm. And we have a saying in, in Mexico, trabajaron como burros. You know, that you work like a donkey, you do whatever, <laughs> you carry all the loads yeah. just to get your family ahead. Mm-hmm. And that... I feel so strongly and I'm I'm so grateful to my parents for showing me the way that yes, it, it is a little bit harder for immigrants to make it in our adopted country here in the United States, but it can still be done and it can oh, still yeah. happen. Yes. So but you know what what it is the the equalizer? Mm-hmm. It's education. Yes. So education, 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 it really is what allows you to go out and follow your own paths and your own passions. And I am just very happy that uh, my children are highly educated and they are following their own passions, which just happens to be coincide with ours. <laughs> well, and uh, something that we were talking about briefly when I was giving you a walking tour of mm-hmm. the chapel of our Napa State Grounds, mm-hmm. something to touch upon what my mom just said is, you know, whenever growing up she I needed a reality check, clearly my mom would always look at me and be like, Mika, did you ever work in the vineyards like me when you were 12 years old? <laughs> like your like your grandparents, like well, when I, it's a different know, struggle. Yeah, it's a different. But I, I, do you know when I hear, oh my God, it's hard. I go, uh, you're not picking grapes right now out there in the middle of the <laughs> See, night. There yeah, you go. I mean, yeah, what are you complaining about? Right. Yeah. So I just, I feel very strongly that I think many people that have had their life too easy sometimes become complacent, mm-hmm. and so that. With our own three children, oh my God, I still remember on weekends, Pedro would always have a, besides going to all of their games and all of their extracurricular stuff, there was always something to do, uh, whether it was during in the winter during pruning season or during harvest. Uh, I remember Dahlia following the tractor when she was two, three, when she could walk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, him. yes, you know, I was... There's no such thing as retirement, friends. Not in our family. Well, but why would you want no, that? No, I'm just kidding. Die. But it's it's that work ethic. It's just that force of nature, that drive that my parents, my grandparents truly yeah. instilled on our family, which is really what made us have that drive and that motivation to succeed even further. Well, this is what I've talked about in other podcasts is that as first generation or even as immigrants, we have the hardest work ethic because we're taking care of extended family members. We're working two jobs to pay for school. We're doing something to get by. Yet that work ethic, how do you get that into a job interview 
or that here you're trying to say, I've done a lot of work, I can do this work, and yet you're stunted. So I, I just want people to know out there, I know it's hard that if you're going to into tech or into a job where you know, you're still working to finish school and you're doing all these things, just know it's going to pay off. And that's what I've said, because I've done it, it was really hard, but you know, I'm able to do this now and to see you and to see other people and to get their message out there that we have the strongest work ethic. We do. We work tirelessly because we know that we're helping our families or that we're trying to get the next generation or kids to really come up. So I just think it's really unfortunate that a lot of folks or industries don't see that. They see something else. And that's what really kind of, you know, makes me want to do these podcasts to hear this message that how you have made it and how other folks are making it and where they came from. It does take hard work. It really does. But staying dedicated is another one, too, to that work, right? Well, here's a message to all immigrants. We are the most multitasking people on the planet. Yes. Because not only are we learning, are we adjusting to a, a new environment, having left our wonderful, very secure home, but we're also learning a new language. Mm -hmm. We're also want to be part of the community and we also want to contribute and we are taking care of our families and we are at the same time, yes, maybe having one or two jobs and going to school. So immigrants, the reason why this country in a relatively short period of time became very powerful, it is due to the contribution of immigrants from across the planet. Yes. And uh, what I see as historian, mm -hmm. what I'm seeing now and closing the borders is really going to be the downfall uh, of the United States. Mm -hmm. And powerful countries don't remain forever. I mean, look exactly. at uh, look, Spain because of the riches from Mexico and England because of all of the wonderful resources mm -hmm. from uh, North America. So there's always a decline and the decline, sadly the decline in this country is going to be that antagonism towards immigrants because we immigrants are willing to work and do anything to have a better life for our family, but also to contribute. At Seha Vineyards, we've been instrumental in raising hundreds of thousands of dollars through, a, through our quirky ways that we propose live lives that sell for tens of thousands of dollars. But also we participate with a lot of nonprofits at their events to pour our wines, our mm -hmm. time. We donate our time, our wines, our financial resources, but most importantly, our time. I'm currently working with a fantastic nonprofit to really empower Latinas to go to college and, and to not take no for an answer. Yes. And it is so important. And I and time is the most valuable commodity mm -hmm. we have. Yet we have to make time available as that we understand what it takes to build a business to make sure that the next generation of Latinas also know how to pursue their own uh, business aspirations. Yes, and Latinas in general are the highest in the last two years of creating more jobs, wealth, and businesses in the United States. So us as women and just women of color in general, we're really excelling at being entrepreneurs and really building on that to saying, we don't need this anymore, right? We've, we've done enough, right? Because we're tired of the low wage, you know, the door in the face or just having to comply with things that don't make us happy. And I think we're very fortunate to live in a country that actually allows us to do that, where many women don't get that at all. And I think that we as women also need to recognize that or we don't need to do anything, but I think it's it's amazing when we do recognize each other and we do say, hey, how can we work together? How can we help you or how can we elevate you? Yes. How can we elevate each other yes. you know, and inspire each other? Yes, exactly. And to really do things outside of one's comfort zone. Mm -hmm. The day I left my rancho, Las Flores, my grandmother said, Mija, please remember this. It doesn't matter what you do. Just make sure you are the best 
you know more than anyone else in your field. And she was very real and honest. She said, it could be a barrendero, a street sweeper, but be the best one. Or the president of Mexico, but be the best one. And always ethical and always making sure that it's not about one person, you, but it's about we. Yes. And I take her advice very seriously. She was the matriarch of our village and an amazing cook. Mama, uh, Mama Chepa. So Mama I, Chepa. I miss her, but I have her in me every mm -hmm. day when I prepare all the dishes that I learned from her. Oh, and I know there's some tamales back there. <laughs> you're showing me. I know. <laughs> and I, um, from my very last heirloom tomatoes of the season, because I'm also a UC Master Gardener, mm. I actually made this very delicious and a very spicy salsa Good. dalia that we're going to serve these tamales with and it is really quite delicious. I, I stayed up last night to make it. Oh, as well as the available oh, for you, because I know you love it. Yes, we are quite spoiled. On um, the food. On the yes. food yes. and wine, mm -hmm. but yes, I mean, it's, I grew up in the kitchen cooking alongside my mom and, and my abuelitas, and it's been so special for us, and I cannot wait to pass that on to the next gen someday Aww. for me. Yeah, I, I love doing it, and tamale season is upon us. Yes, so this is very appropriate. Yes. Plus it's a heartier meal, and uh, I just love it once the leaves start to turn color. Mm -hmm. The pozole, the tamales, all bring them on. Comfort food. Yes. Amazing. Oh, Patole. And, and, uh, and the and the Seha wine to go yes. with this. Oh, absolutely. Let's not forget the Seha wine. All right, ladies. Well, this was amazing. I really love this interview, talking about the history and a strong Latina's how you're empowering other Latinas to hear your story and the avenues that they can take in their future of just following their dreams, making room for ideas and creativity, but also having confidence in yourself. And I feel very inspired by both of you because you have really the property and I love the wine. It's so tasty. There's more to come. Yeah. It makes Everything tastes better and life better. Too. Yes, yes. Salud to that. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have one more uh, thing to add <laughs> because it's yes. really important. Yes. That I encourage everyone to make sure that their children go to college. It's so important because it is what's going to give those children mobility, whether they decide to stay here in the United States or go anywhere. An education is you can take it with you and it gives you confidence. So, And it's something that no one can ever take away. Yeah. And what's the nonprofit that you're a part of that helps other Latinas? Well, I'm a part of many. Oh, oh okay. But this one was started by someone in the wine industry that sold uh, her winery uh, for a lot of money. Uh. And she started a foundation and I was oh, tapped nice. to be a part of that. And... Um, Thus far, we can't really say too much. Oh, I see. But it, we're already working very, very hard. But we're part of the Latina Community Foundation, the Hispanics in Philanthropy. We're part of A lot. so many right. uh, here in Napa as well. So, well, But it, do you know that giving is very empowering? Yes. It, feels, it doesn't only feel great, but life is so much more worth living when you know that uh, you are a vector of change for others. Yes. Well, and that's what I want to end on is thank you so much, Teresa, for using your platform oh. to educate, inspire, you know, everyone that's listening and tuning in. So we feel so honored that you invited us to speak on your oh, awesome podcast. Thank you. I mean, thank you. I hope that all the Latinas out there, we definitely are going to change the next, I want to say, decade. There's no denying that. So thank you, Dahlia and Amelia, for having us at your winery today, Seha Vineyards. It's beautiful. They can find you on your website at sehavineyards.com. You're also on Instagram and Facebook. And you also have some events coming, I believe. So we have, through our dedicated Casa Seja Wine Club, we have quarterly fiestas. We call them our pickup parties. So nice. for those, yes, that for those that really want to grasp the true Seja Vineyard experience, we invite you to check out our website, go to our wine club tab, 
sign up so you can come and join us for our rock star fiestas food and wine pairings Ooh, tamales and tacos and all pozole. Eh, both. our december pickup party actually is pozole and pinot noir and we can't change the menu because then we'll have a riot and it is so fabulous so, but yes become part of our extended familia joined our casa Seja wine club it's quarterly uh, but our wines are also available at some selected total wine and more stores oh total Cal- wine mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. but I mean, realistically, for our brand, we are 90% direct-to-consumer, so the best way to find our wines is directly through our website, sejavineyards.com. We ship everywhere. You can also sign up to join our Casa Seja Wine Club through our website, or you can purchase directly from our tasting room. Yes, visit us soon. Oh, I will. (laughs) Yes, you all have an open invitation to visit us in wine country. All right, thank you, ladies. Gracias. Gracias, Teresa.